0: You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcba.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Merry Christmas! If you want to open your Bibles to me, the book of Romans this morning. We so excitingly start and celebrate this Christmas season through a series on Advent that we're simply calling Father Christmas, turn in your Bibles to Romans 15, one of my favorite books in the entire New Testament. My name is Matt Brooks. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow. Just want to give all praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you this morning, Praise Team, for lifting us to the throne. Just fill the anointing of the Lord this morning and I'm anxious to celebrate Christmas with you. You know, as Christmas draws near, I can't think of a better way to prepare our hearts for the greatest gift that God has ever given the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, than through a series on Advent. Advent, which means coming, has for centuries been a time of of reflection and encouragement and celebration of the imminent coming of Christ. And traditionally, each week of Advent has an intentional theme, hope and peace and love and joy. And so what we're going to do this year is that we're going to take the structure of Advent, but I'm wanting us to see it through the lens of God, our Father. And that is why for the next four weeks that we're going to quantify this series of Advent called Father Christmas, finding God the Father in His Christmas story. For those of you who are wanting an Advent devotional this week to kind of take a step further with the Lord, text the word FATHER to 45776 as our creative teams and content teams has put together a specific devotional for you. So today I I want to prepare our hearts for the hope that is promised to us by God himself, the God of hope, in Romans 15, 12-13 and other selected texts. You know, it has been said that a man can live 40 days without food... Seven days without water, but only two seconds without hope. Hope for the Christ follower is not just wishful thinking. For the Bible reminds us that if you have Christ, then you have hope. For where Christ is, hope is. And can I tell you this world has been longing for hope? I mean, we may, even in this season of our country, never been more in preparation for the hope that comes in Christ. Uh, we had many of us yesterday were hanging out in downtown b a as we were celebrating the Christmas season and we were walking through this parade in downtown and uh, we were passing out thousands of invitations to Christmas on a hill and you know, to the Green Country Christmas next Sunday. I hope you 're doing the same and you know to our Christmas Eve services and our Christmas day services and you know as we were passing out good candy and invitations, uh, we had one of our kids that was going to give a card to a man and she went up to this man and said, "What well, would you like this invitation card?" And he said, "No, I care nothing for that man. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I tell you that He cares much for you? That He loves you? That hope is found alone through Christ? You see, hope in the Bible is a confident certainty of what is to come. It is an a." assured forever by God himself to us. And I tell you, there's a drastic difference between living hope in Christ and false hopes. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter 1.3 when he says, Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, for he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There was a huge difference between living hope and false hope hope. Some of us, we have false hope professionally, that we just think if we could just get this right kind of job at the right time, then everything will align, that we'll have this assurance and satisfaction that will last forever. No, it's not. That job is not infinite. That job is finite. Yet, If we could just get this promotion, if we could just have this title, then we would have hope. Some of us, we place our hope financially, that if we can just have this, whatever this number is in our savings account, that if we could just achieve this status, if we could just maximize our investments, if we can just have the specific investment at the specific time, then we can have hope. And now this pandemic has taught us that, no, we better hold tightly to Christ, that our hope must be in Christ and nothing else. Some of us, we have a hope politically that if we just get this right candidate, then everything will be set back into alignment. If we just had this specific legislation, if, if they would just sign off on this one bill, it would change all things. And no, we must remind ourselves that we are people of God and that the hope of God resides in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We must keep our eyes on Christ and Christ alone. Some of us, we have the false hope emotionally that, you know, if we just had these certain things, or if this relationship would just align in the exact way in which we would want it, if we could just achieve or just secure these one certain things in our life, then everything else would bring into alignment emotionally and mentally and professionally and financially and politically. It is within this context and searching all of these functional gods, functional saviors, functional means of hope that we have to remind ourselves of the steadfast hope of God through us in Jesus Christ. That is why throughout the Bible, hope sustains and empowers our faith. That hope is the assured expectation based upon the promises of God and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Hope then keeps us moving toward God, it propels us to daily live for God with joy, as we'll find in Romans 15, with peace that we'll find in Romans 15, because God himself resolves to always be with his people because he is in his people. And that is why even in the Old Testament, the psalmist says in Psalm 71, verse 14, on the nature of God, and in light of this, I will always hope continually, and I will praise you More and more. It is this hope of God in us that we are hopeful because we are Christful. And we are Christful because we are Spirit-filled. It is this filling of the Spirit in our lives that emanates from the nature of God Himself. For where Christ is, hope is. And Christ lives here in the believer. Christ resides in and through us. And that is why Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That God has given himself to us. O Emmanuel. We have a hope that can abound. And that's exactly what I want to talk about today. How to abound in hope. And we find this in Romans 15. Now Paul is writing to believers in Rome. And he spends 11 chapters in one of the greatest books in the entire New Testament. Describing to God's people what God has done for them through the saving work of Christ. Paul starts in Romans 1.1 by saying he's a servant of the gospel. That you can give your life to so many things. But if you miss this one thing, you miss everything. And so Paul is a servant of God has resolved to give his life to the gospel of God. A gospel that he says in Romans 1.15 that he can't wait to share. That there's this perpetual joy in sharing of this hope that only comes in God and God alone. Therefore, he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why, Paul, in Romans 1.16? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Not just to the Jew, but to the Greek. For all of those who place their faith in Christ... That hope isn't based upon status, that that hope isn't based upon uh, one's financial securities, that hope isn't based upon one's uh, ascribing to one's political parties or attentions or even our own disposition. No, hope is a resolve given to us based upon the promise of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who abounds in those who place their faith in Him. And it is this God of hope that resides in us You see, Rome was filled with numerous pagan and mystery religions. Priests and soothsayers who claimed to represent one emperor or God or gods were everywhere. Thus, hopeless religion and fruitless devotion was prominent throughout all of Rome. And it's within this context that Paul begins to remind God's people in Romans chapter 12 that we are to urgently and practically live out our faith as a living sacrifice. That we are to obediently use the Spirit-enabled gifts that God has given us to joyfully abound His hope from person to person. That as we follow Christ, He fills us with joy. He gives us His peace. And thus, hope is our resolved assurance. And so now Paul, in Romans 15, positively brings to close his main arguments of unity in Christ and accepting one another in love for Christ in light of God's glorious plan to save his people. Not just Jew, but Gentile, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Romans 15, verses 7 through 13. And by the time we get to Romans 12, Paul has quoted four specific Old Testament verses in three prominent parts of the Old Testament. The law, the Psalms, and the prophets. And he says in Romans 15, verse 12... And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, and even he who arises will rule the Gentiles, for in him the Gentiles have their hope. Now, Paul specifically here quotes Isaiah 11, verse 10, a well-known messianic promise. And I don't know about you, but if Isaiah... If Romans is one of our favorite books in the New Testament, Isaiah has to be one of our favorite books in the Old Testament. You see, Isaiah, whose name means the Lord of salvation, was the prince of all prophets. 700 years before the coming of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, God would use Isaiah, a man of nobility, a recognized statesman, to speak in front of the monarchs of Judah. God would take this man and place him in front of Uzziah and Ahaz and Hezekiah. It would be Isaiah, one of the most profound books in the entire Old Testament, that the New Testament writers would reference 400 separate times the book of Isaiah. The amazing thing is that of the 66 books in Isaiah, the first five chapters of Isaiah describe the utter spiritual failure and ruin of God's people because of their spiritual or their perpetual rebellion and sin against God. The first five chapters, pure rebellion, clear judgment. And then in Isaiah 6, things begin to turn. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah gives us the most concise summation of the worship found in the entire Bible. In Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, Isaiah says that he saw the Lord. That he saw the Lord. The judgment was everywhere. Rebellion was rampant. Hope comes. Things appeared helpless, and thus hopeless. But hope was coming. And from Isaiah chapter 6 to the rest of this book, 61 chapters can be summarized by God graciously saves sinners. Amazingly, the first words of Isaiah are not wow, but whoa, in light of God's holiness. This word appears 10 separate times in the book of Isaiah. Then after seeing the Lord in his holiness... Shockingly, Isaiah pronounces judgment, not upon God's people, but upon himself. He humbly says in Isaiah 6, ruin and destruction are to me. And Isaiah, considering God's holiness, felt hopeless. Can I tell you that we're at that point in our country? That hopelessness abounds in America. According to a recent survey, 71% of all Americans feel that our country is not on track. Now, this poll didn't quantify just how many and what percentage of Americans just feel we're not only not on track, we're off track, right? Completely off track, right? And you can see why. Inflation's at a 31-year high. Savings rate or at a 17-year low? 63% of all Americans are currently living paycheck to paycheck. Astonishingly, 44% of all teenagers in America quantify themselves. Are you ready for this? Feeling persistent sadness and hopelessness. Furthermore, our, all of our teams college-wise in Oklahoma are lousy. OU, terrible. OSU, terrible. Tulsa's terrible looking for a new coach. And Brahms this week announced that there's an eggnog shortage in all of their stores. Can things get any worse? That's why we need to be reminded of the hope that abounds in us. Rebellion is rampant. We are helpless. We appear hopeless. No. Be Christful. Be spirit-filled. Can't you see now why we need this reminder of the Christmas season? Within all of this destruction and rebellion in Isaiah, these first five chapters of awfulness, things begin to turn in Isaiah 6. He sees the Lord, and hope comes. And through a vision in Isaiah 14, he says that the Lord himself will give you a sign. That you will have a virgin that will conceive and bear a son. You should call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He goes on to say in Isaiah 9, 6, For for to us a child is born, a son is given, that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in building on this theme of God's holiness, yet hopeless, we remind ourselves that our hope is in the grace of God who gave the perfect life of Christ for unperfect people. Isaiah, in the midst of God's judgment upon his people, The Assyrians are coming. He sees in Isaiah 11, verse 10, a little shoot, a little twig, a sapling among all of these stumps of judgment. that will come from the stump of Jesse. When it was of the Davidic line, Christ our Messiah who will lack nothing in his qualifications and his wisdom and his righteousness, and his faithfulness, among all of these trees, there will be one little one that will remain and will set everything right. You know, we have a reminder of this each and every Christmas. We have a tree that we place in our house, that we, that we light up, that we adorn with our best. That signifies God's faithfulness to us and in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, tonight, and I'm so proud of oh, all of our teams and facilities teams, creative teams, and communication teams. It's been an astounding amount of work that has gone into Christmas on a hill. Tonight, we're gonna gather as God's people on the highest point of Tulsa County and one of the largest trees in all of Tulsa. We're gonna light up as a sign of the world of God's faithfulness to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But many of us don't have 26-foot trees. We, we have nice trees, and some of us have trees just like this. Little trees. <laughs> Brent and I, when we were first married, we didn't have much, but we had the Lord and one another. We were living in married student housing in Ada, Oklahoma. And finishing up school there at East Central, and just so amazed by God's goodness and grace. And man, I was preaching the gospel anywhere the Lord would allow me. And Bryn was finishing up her elementary education degree. And we didn't have... $10 in our budget for Christmas. And so we went to a store, and with $10, we bought this little Christmas tree. Handful of ornaments. And I, I think the, the store's owner, by his grace, he was a Christ follower, uh, he gave us this deal of all deals on one box of Christmas lights. And this tree was so small that, that literally you could wrap all of these lights around this tree, and it just exploded in this little 500-square-foot apartment. You know, of course, we had a handful of gifts with one another, and it, you know, it looked like hundreds because of this tree was so small, and we right there were reminded of, of God's goodness, faithfulness to us. And so year by year, as God's continued faithfulness grew and His blessings came, we, we began to add to this tree. and Ornament here, ornament there, and uh, we would every year, of God's faithfulness, we would get one ornament to celebrate that. So we began to place these ornaments and began to add lights. And, you know, before you know it, there, there really wasn't even a tree anymore. There, there was only lights. There was only ornaments. And as years went by and different assignments came from the Lord in this state in this state in this state, somewhere between God's faithfulness and our moving, we, we lost this tree. When we moved back to Oklahoma... We bought a new little small tree. We bought another Charlie bound tree. But instead of Brent and I decorating this tree now, we we let our kids do it. And they wrap their ornaments around and grab these lights. And we put this little tree right on our doorstep as a sign to all who visit our home of God's abiding and abounding. To us, You see, this world will change. You see, your vocations will change. Your financial portfolio will change. Your political affinities and personalities will change. Emotionally, through the years, we, we will have ebb and flows of change. But there is one who never changes. There is one who abides and desires to abound in us. And we can be hopeful even when we feel helpless. And that is the encouragement of this story of Christmas, even through Isaiah. That is one of Paul's principles in quoting this verse to God's people in Rome in Romans 15. That though rebellion is rampant, though destruction appears everywhere, though we are helpless and thus it appears hopeless. No, we're not. We must keep our eyes on Christ. We must keep our heart filled of the Holy Spirit. Because Emmanuel is with us. That's why. Because a son has been born and a son is given. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of all peace. He is the shoot of Jesse. This little Sapling, this twig, who Isaiah says in Isaiah 11 will go on to defend the weak, who will go on to ultimately defeat the wicked, who makes outsiders insiders because he saves imperfect people through faith in his perfect life. In fact, you see this word arise in verse 12? That is more than likely an alludation to the resurrection. You see, this coming Messiah who will be born to save will give his life and die for the wages of sin is death, but will be raised victoriously three days later, for he truly is Emmanuel, God with us. And that is why the Old Testament predicted the Messiah over 300 times. This story of Christmas is everywhere throughout the Old Testament. Because the story of Christmas declares the fullness of God in Christ, God's Messiah, but also that God himself resides in us through the Holy Spirit. He reigns in us, and thus his hope abounds in us. So despite our sinful offenses, we can always have the assured hope of God through Christ. For we will forever be in his presence. It is our hope that is found and secured in God's Son. And that is Paul's point in quoting Isaiah eleven ten. Because we have a God who is the God of hope. Look at verse 13. And may this God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, Paul here has not just the present in mind, but the future in mind. And he closes this passage to a prayer. A prayer to God on behalf of God's people. A beautiful benediction to unite all of God's people in the hope in Christ that comes from God himself. Now, did you notice how he describes God? God is not just Yahweh, the Lord of all. Jehovah, the one and only. God is not just Adonai, the master of all life, because your life will never be managed until it is master. God is not just El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. He is not just El Elyon, the God most high. No, we have hope because we have a God of hope. That God is not just the author of hope, but the object of hope. That where God is, hope is. Do you see this word hope here? Underline it. Put an ornament by it in your Bible. It's one of the greatest words in the entire Bible. It's of a word that means, are you ready for this? Something that is assured forever. Paul is speaking here of a confident certainty of something that will absolutely happen. That we have a God of hope. For God is the divine agent, the sole source of hope. Because he generates hope in us through the assured regeneration of Jesus Christ. That's why we can't put our hope in these false hopes. These professional hopes. These false hopes of of things that are financial or political or emotional or mental or anything else. Those are finite. We need an infinite hope in us. You see, the world didn't give us our hope, and thus the world can't take it away. We have a God of hope. Hope is secure as His sovereignty. Our hope is as assured as God's promises. Our hope is as lasting as His glory. Our hope abounds because God's grace abounds. And God gives His people hope by giving them Himself. And that is why hope then is exclusively for believers. Hope is exclusively for those who are following Christ. That as a result of our union with Christ, God fills and imparts and manifests His joy and peace in us by faith, guaranteeing our hope as we believe. You see Paul's point in verse thirteen: May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He's speaking here in an active tense, as. We believe God fills us then with joy. He fills us then with peace. What is Paul speaking here? Joy speaks here of what God has done for us and what he will keep doing in us. That's his point. You see, that's why we can't base our joy upon our feelings. That's why we can't base our joy upon our our contentment or, or what and how things are going in our lives. No. We have to be resolved that hope resides in us because joy is in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. A joy that is resolved in what Christ has done for us, His works on our behalf. We didn't earn our salvation, thus, we can't lose our salvation. We didn't earn our joy, thus we can't lose our joy. We didn't earn our hope, thus we can't lose our hope. It abides in us. It is also, though, a joy that he is doing in us. That there is a resolved eternal satisfaction. That there is a continuing longing and abiding of the joy of God through Christ that resides in us through the Holy Spirit. And thus we have peace. Peace. Thus, there is a resolved countenance within all of us. Thus, there is a balance that resides, suppresses any emotions or any lack of faith or anything that can detract us from this truth. No, the Holy Spirit propels the very gifts and works of God in and through us. So that we abound with joy and peace. Oh, what news. This was all within God's plan, Paul tells us in Romans 15. That before the foundations of the world, it was God's desire for us not just to abide in hope, but to abound in hope. And thus the hope of Christmas celebrates the plan of God who came among us to dwell within us through Christ. For what end? By what means? Look at the end of verse 13. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That it is God's presence in us that is our assurance not just of a present hope but a future hope. You see this word abound here in verse 13? It describes an excess supply of something, more than you will ever need, more than you could ever use, that you may abound in hope. You see, hope then overflows from us when the Spirit overflows in us. The moment you give your life to Christ, the Bible says that you are baptized into the Spirit. That you are endowed by the Holy Spirit. He resides in you, He reigns in you by faith. But the Bible also says that we must be daily filled with the Spirit. Our lives are full of so many things. Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you finding that your joy and your peace is fractured by news of the world, by news on social media, by a text or a phone call or an email? May you place your eyes on Christ. May you ask the Lord to fill you with his joy and his peace. You see, when we're filled with the Spirit, we will be full of the joy of Christ and the peace of Christ, thus securing our hope in Christ. Believers then are endlessly and expectantly hopeful because we have a secured and satisfied hope in Christ through the faithful indwelling of God through the Holy Spirit. Hope then defines us because God loves us. Christ is in us and will always be with us through the Holy Spirit. May we then abound this Christmas in God's prominent, radiant hope in Christ by His Spirit. Because God the Father sees to it that His children not only abide in hope, but abound in hope. May we keep our eyes on Christ. May we keep our mind on his word. May we keep our heart full of his spirit as we abound and abide in the hope from God himself. Merry Christmas, oh sweet church. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and always remember, you are loved.